0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, we are kicking off a brand new series today. And it started, actually came about because Ron and I read a book. Ron's our senior pastor. He's visiting his mom today for Mother's Day. Uh, And we read a book uh, all about uh, love, what it means to stay in love. Because it's real easy to fall in love, and it's real hard to stay in love. And then I went and listened to—this this book kind of stirred me, and so I went and listened to the pastor who wrote the book. He preached a sermon series all about staying in love. And so what we did was we, combined, we compiled that sermon series and this book, and we created a four-week series called staying in love. And uh, what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks is really trying to answer the question that I guarantee every single one of us has asked at some point in our lives. And uh, if you haven't asked it, you will ask this question at some point in your life because it's a normal human question. And here's the question that we're going to be looking at today and for the next three weeks to come. We're going to be asking the question, is it possible, is it possible to stay in love for a lifetime? Not just to stay married for a lifetime. We know that can happen. Is it possible to stay in love for our entire lives? Can two people really stay together forever and be happy? Be more than just roommates who raise kids together. Can they, can they grow deeper in love in 20 years than they are today? Can they be happy with each other and in love with each other over the course of their entire lives? And as we look around the world, uh, it would seem to say that the answer is no. Because marriages are falling apart all the time and ending in divorce. And I know there are friends in here today who uh, maybe by no choice of your own have had a a marriage that is on the rocks or is falling apart. It looks like the answer could be no. Um, When we add on top of the fact that divorce rates are continuing to go up, um, the fact that it seems like people sometimes stay married, but they don't even really like each other, uh, let alone love each other. They're just roommates or housemates. But the truth be told, they'd rather go do their own thing and just come back together at night to sleep. When we look at the fear and the anger and the heartache that relationships bring, it seems like the answer is no. But I'm guessing, and this is true for me, I'm guessing that even though the scales are tilted towards no, despite all of that, your thought is yes. Yes, it's possible. Yes, it's possible for two people to grow in intimate love for each other over the course of their lives. Is it probable? I don't know. Some of you say yes. Some of you right now are probably saying no. Will it happen to, to you? Maybe you don't know the answer to that question either. But there's something, I think, inside of each of us that says, yes, it's possible. And if it's possible, I want it. And here's what it is, I think. Even though— uh, even though the world tells us it's not possible, here's what it is, I think, that makes us believe that it is possible. Despite all the statistics, despite all the broken relationships that we've seen around us, despite the home we were raised in, I think it's because God created us in his image, and he created us because of his love, and he created us for love. And because humans are created in the image of God, and if you're new to the church, you might not have heard this, but the Bible says that God created us in his image, In the image of God, he created us. He created us because of love, and he created us for love. And because God is love, there's something deep inside of us that says, yes, yes, two people can grow in love for each other over the course of a lifetime. And I want to spend just a few minutes talking about falling in love, because falling in love is easy. Everybody put your fingers up to your neck. Do you have a pulse? If you have a pulse, you can fall in love. Okay, if you don't have a pulse, I don't know how you got in here. Generally, vampires are not allowed in the church. Um, But if you have a pulse, you can fall in love. In fact, I'm guessing that most of you are in love right now. Uh, Maybe you're in love with uh, a guy on TV, a sports star, an actor, an actress. Maybe it's the person that reads the news in the morning. Um, Maybe you're Facebook stalking someone and you're in love with them, you know, Maybe, you, maybe some of you are in love with the person sitting across the room from me right now. And every time I'm talking, you're glancing out the side of your eyes to see if they're maybe looking at you. And maybe you watch them worship and you just know, oh, the way they worship God, they're just the perfect person for me. Uh, before you laugh at that, that was my wife, by the way. Uh, she, when, when we first kind of had something going on, she saw me worshiping and she said, when I saw you worshiping, man, I just knew you were the guy for me. And I said, praise the Lord that you could not hear me, but you could only see me. <laughs> Because she just fell for me right there. It is easy to fall in love. It's never been easier to fall in love. There are over 1,500 organizations just designed to help you fall in love. Match.com. I saw one the other day, Christian Mingle. You know, if you're Christian, you're single, you're ready to mingle, go to ChristianMingle.com. I was like, wow, they're everywhere. It's easy to fall in love, but it's hard, hard, hard work to stay in love. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is uh, we have not seen love modeled for us. I don't know. Uh, my my family, I think, is the rarity. My parents are together and in in love with each other. My grandparents stayed together and in love until they were. Uh, one of them passed away on both sides. My wife's parents are still together and her grandparents stayed together and in love. But I think we're the exception. Most of us are touched by divorce or touched by unhappy relationships. And so we don't see love modeled for us. And so it makes it hard for us to even have an idea of what it could look like to stay in love over the course of a lifetime. So that's one of the issues that we have fighting against us. Another one is we have, as a society, a fairly low threshold for pain. Have you noticed that? We see marriage as kind of an extension of dating, and uh, you make me so happy. I get all these oogly-googly feelings when we first meet, and uh, I fall in love with you. And then over time, those feelings go away, and they're replaced by other feelings, you know, that would get me thrown in jail if I acted on them. And then that's not, you know, that's not love. And so I stop having these feelings, and my heart starts to, to hurt. And here's what I think. I think it must, uh, it must be you. It's not me. That makes me unhappy. It must be you that makes me unhappy. And so what do we do? We cut and run when things get tough because we have a low threshold for pain. And I can tell you, if you talk to couples who have been married for a long time, there's been some point in their relationship where they've considered cutting and running. But any couple who's happily married will tell you that they're so glad that they stayed, that they stuck, that they worked through the hard stuff because they're more in love now than they were then. And that's what I think God wants for us. That's what I want for us. I really believe that this series, this series will save some marriages if you put it into practice. I I believe that this series, by the way, for some of you who are single right now thinking really another marriage series for the next four weeks, I believe that this series, if you put it into practice with your friends and begin to make the things we're talking about a habit in friendship relationships, will save you so much heartache in marriage and will enable you to have the kind of relationship that God wants for you. I believe that this is, by the way, the greatest Mother's Day gift that you could give your wife this year on Mother's Day. Because I think the greatest gift that you can give her is a loving husband. Father's Day is coming up, and uh, by the way, some of you guys don't come back on Father's Day because you're nervous we're going to slam you on Father's Day. We aren't going to slam you on Father's Day. In fact, we're going to continue a teaching series on Jonah through Father's Day. We're not even going to like pick on you at all. But I will tell you this, wives: this, if you put this into practice for the next month, this will be the greatest gift that you give to your husband on Father's Day, is a wife who loves him the way that God called you to love him, or the greatest thing you give to your partner on Father's Day. Uh, and so. I want you to be ready for this because God has something for you. By the way, this is the greatest gift you can give to your kids, too. The greatest gift we can give our kids is a mom and a dad who love each other. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like. So we're in the midst of this relational mess right now. Marriages are ending in divorce. People who are married are unhappy. And I'm not trying to pick on people outside of the church, within the church. uh, The statistics are pretty darn close to those outside of the church. But right into the middle of this relational mess and this funk and this nastiness uh, of heartbreak, Jesus spoke in with some words that are so exciting and simple and profound and divine and clear that they could change everything for you. And you're going to hear this and you're going to think, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Kevin, don't you have something better for me on Mother's Day? I mean, you wives are going to be thinking, hey, I got my husband here. Can't you just tell him how great I am? you know, and how much he should love me and what he should do for me. Yeah, you should do those things for your wife today. But no, I'm going to tell you something that Jesus said in his one sentence. It's one sentence that could change everything for you. In John 13:34, Jesus says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you should love one another. And that word new, uh, it could mean new like we think of new, but it also could mean something that's hidden, that's been recently rediscovered, or something that's transformational. And I think what Jesus is saying is, I have a transformational command to give to you. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die to bring forgiveness for our sins. And he tells his disciples, I have a transformational command to give to you, that you love one another. And see, when we think of love, we think of love as a feeling. That's why it's easy to fall in love. You get that feeling. That's why people can say they have love at first sight, because it's a feeling that you have for somebody. And that feeling's powerful. That feeling gets you excited in the morning to get up and put your makeup on and get dressed for that person because the feeling is really powerful. That feeling is why your friends can all tell you he's no good for you and you won't listen to him because you love him and you know he'll change when he marries you, right? It's the feeling... And we're feeling-based people, and that feeling is really powerful. And see, we think of love as a feeling, but the secret to staying in love is to not have love a feeling, but to make love a verb. Make love a verb. Make love an action. See, Jesus doesn't say, I want you to feel love for one another. He says, I want you to do love for one another. I want you to make love A verb, And I want you to make love a lot, by the way. That's what he's saying. I want you to make love a verb a lot. Um, The goal of staying in love is not to reproduce feelings. Oftentimes we think the feeling is gone. I must not be in love. We must not be meant for each other. The goal of love is not to make love a feeling or reproduce the feeling you had when you were first married. The feeling is the caboose of the love train, not the engine of the love train. And if you want to ride on the love train, you got to make love a verb. Make it an action. And when you do that, the feeling will follow. But see, love is action. Love is verb. Love is every day, putting it into practice, doing it for them. And so I want to ask, where do you get your cues on love? Do you get it from your parents or your friends do you get it from TV? Do you get it from Dr. Phil or Dr. Drew or Dr. Laura? I mean, who, who do you get your, where do they get their degrees, by the way? I don't know about them. You know, listen to Dr. Jesus. Dr. Jesus knows about love. Do you get your cues from society? And do you want what society giving right now when it comes to love? Or do you get your cues from Jesus? Jesus says the secret to staying in love is make love a verb. And make love a verb a lot. Every day, all day. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul puts some teeth to this idea. He basically says the same thing that Jesus says, but he says it in a way uh, that actually puts us on edge a little bit. And if you're in the church, you know what Ephesians 5, 21 says, if you've been around for any period of time. Uh, he says, be subject, or some of your Bibles would say, submit to one another. And Right there, you're like, oh, I don't like that word. Oh, I don't Come on. Paul but Paul liked to mix it up a little bit. He was a spoonster. He liked to stir up trouble a little bit. So Paul's like, "Hey, you want to know what Jesus is saying when he says love one another? He's saying submit to one another. Be subject to one another out of fear for Christ." And here's what he means by that. Have you ever been in a room with someone who's more important than you? About a month ago, I was at a wedding. And we were all, you know, done up for this big wedding in Illinois. And the groom came in and he was looking all nervous and excited and his groomsmen came in and then the bridesmen came in and then, the, you know, the, the flower children came in and not, not the hippies, but like the ones that pass out the flowers, you know, and drop the flowers on the ground. The flower children came in and, um, and then all of a sudden the music started and everybody stood up and the bride walked in. And here's what didn't happen when the bride walked in. Everyone didn't turn around and look at me when the bride walked in. Can you believe that? Why didn't they look look at me? Because I'm not the most important person in the room at a wedding. Even as the groom, you're not the most important person in the room at the wedding. (laughs) The bride is the most important person in the room at a wedding. So we've all been in the room with someone who's more important than us, at least at a wedding. What's the goal of a wedding? It's to celebrate the bride. When we got to the reception, they didn't toast me. I couldn't believe it. They didn't tell stories about what a great guy I was. How happy they were that my marriage had lasted for almost six years. They talked all about the bride and the groom because the bride and the groom were the most important people in the room. What Paul's saying in Ephesians 5.21 is whenever you're with your spouse, make your spouse the most important person in the room. Be subject to them. Submit to them. So your big fight then, if you're thinking like this, your big fight in your marriage is when you say to your spouse, honey, you are the most important person in the room right now. What can I do to serve you? And then they say, no, no, no. You're the most important person in the room right now. How can I serve you? You say, no, 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 sweetie. You're the most important person in the room. How can I serve you? And the rest of us are like, eh, you know. (laughs) Honey, let me hold the door for you so you can walk in. No, 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 sweetie. Let me hold the door for you. You're the most important person in the room. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying be subject to each other. Every time your spouse walks in the room or your partner walks in the room or the person you're dating walks in the room, they're the most important person in the room. You're not the most important person in the room anymore. And how do we act that out? He says, make love a verb. Make it an action. Do things for them. Be subject to them. Imagine a king with his loyal subjects around, or a queen with her subjects around. When the queen walks in the room, the subjects simply ask one question, what can I do for my queen? Or what can I do for my king? That's what marriage is supposed to look like. The minute she walks in, you say, what can I do for you? That's why we love Mother's Day if you're a mom, because on Mother's Day, we all recognize you're the most important person in the room, and we do things for you. By the way, guys, if you don't recognize that, I'm, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying that your sofa is comfortable because you'll be sleeping on it tonight. <laughs> but God wants that for our marriages every day. And it's so simple to understand. It's one sentence. Love one another. Jesus says, as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? He came from heaven where he was God, equal with God. He came to earth where he was mistreated, where he was misunderstood, where he was beaten, and where he was killed on a cross because his love for us compelled him to it. Love each other as I have loved you by sacrificing, by serving. It's so simple to understand, but it's so hard to do on Monday I was driving to church and there was a gal who had, I'm pretty sure she was texting and she ran into the side of the curb and she popped her tire. And um, she was a young gal, probably 18 or 19, and all the cars were going around her. And whenever I see someone with a, a pop tire or whatever, I just ask, God, should I stop? And then I just kind of sensed, yes, I should, no, I shouldn't. And I sensed I should try to stop and help her out. So I got, I pulled over and I stopped and I kind of waved like, are you okay? And she gave me one of these, you know. <laughs> and so I, So I come running over. She says, my tire's blown out. My brother lives in wherever he lived. He can't come help me. Can you change my tire for me? And two things went through my head. Yeah, I can change your tire for you in terms of I'm willing to do it. But two, can I change a tire? I don't know. (laughs) That's a great question. So I said, I said, yeah, yeah, yes, I can change your tire for you. So I roll up my sleeves. I took off my watch. You know, I, Um, and I, we went to the back, her trunk, where the tire is, apparently, and, um, she had all these clothes and shoes in her trunk, so I said, hey, the first thing we have to do is we have to get this stuff out of your trunk, and so we start to pick up the clothes, and I pick up this pile of clothes, and as I pick it up and pull it out of the car onto this busy street, I notice there's like a three-foot bong wrapped up in these clothes that's now showing, and I just think to myself, oh, man, what is someone from Tristrives by right now? That's going to be hilarious. This is the first time I've ever held a bong in my life, and I'm like, okay, well, this is what it means, right? This is how we love people. So I I put, I gently set the bong down, the glass art, you know, I set down the glass art, and I put it in, um, and I change her tire, and she goes on her way, and I'm feeling pretty nice, like, hey, I did this nice thing. I got to do something for somebody, love them like Jesus would love them, and I went to work, and then I got home from work, and I walked into my house, and Maria said, hey, how you doing, honey? I said, I'm doing good. Let's go for a family walk. And she said, well, I need you to change the antifreeze in my car. I need you to add, not antifreeze, I need you to add some wiper fluid to my car. And here's what I thought. And I, Luckily, I didn't say it. Praise the Lord. I didn't say it. Here's what I thought. I thought, are, are you serious? I just spent all day at work. I changed someone's tire this morning. I have to put the wiper fluid in your car? And then I thought to myself, hey, dummy, you're preaching a sermon about love this week. (laughs) And so I said, yeah, honey, I'd be happy to change the wiper fluid. But it made me start to think, what is it? What is it about my wife, the person closest to me, uh, that it's easier for me to serve a stranger than it is to serve my wife? Well, there are a couple things around that. One, serving a stranger is a one-time deal. I can do it once, I can feel good about it, they go on. Uh, Serving my wife is an ongoing thing. Two, we take our spouses for granted a lot. Because they're there every day. Because we assume they'll always be there for us. Because we assume we'll have more opportunities to serve and to love. And then three, what, we, we, we ask the question, what if they don't do it back? You know, what if I serve you all the time and then you don't ever serve me back? And it's a scary thing. But God wants us to serve all the time. And it is tough. And, and I want to talk to those of you who are right now in rocky places in your relationship. Because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is terrifying because someone has to go first. Someone has to start this ball rolling. Someone has to get in the engine of the love train and start driving down the tracks. And you're scared because what if you do it and they take advantage of you, or they don't notice it, or they don't reciprocate? And here's what I would say to you love is risky, do it anyway. Do it because Jesus says, I want you to love each other the way that I loved you. Do it because Paul says, submit to one another out of your reverence, or your fear, or your awe of God. Not because they'll respond the right way. But I will say this, if you love them the way Jesus wants you to love them, over the course of time, my bet is that they will respond the way you want them to. Because they'll see your love and they'll probably come around So here's the question I want to leave you with this morning. Do you want to stay in love for a lifetime? Do you want to be the couple that makes it? Do you want to be the couple that's more in love 20 years from now than you are today? And I'm not talking about just staying married. I'm talking about staying deeply, passionately in love with each other. Here's the key. Love one another as God loves you. And submit to each other. Do things for each other. Make love a verb. And let the feelings follow. And how do we do it? Well, we take our cues from Jesus. We love our partner. We serve our partner every day, all day, for as long as we both shall live. And we don't do it because they're going to do it back. And we don't do it because it's the magic secret formula. We do it because it is the right thing to do. We do it because of God's love for us. And then we pray. And if you're in a hard spot in your relationship, we pray for you. Pray for your spouse. You pray for your partner. And you hope and you trust that God will change them. And then you just keep on serving. You keep on loving. Because God made love a verb when Jesus came to earth. Now next week, we're going to talk about the importance of cheating in marriage and why we all need to cheat on a regular basis. And I hope you're hooked. (laughs) You'll have to come back next week. This is the intro to the series. This is the overarching thing that all of this ties into, love one another. We're going to get real specific over the next three weeks about what it looks like to love one another. What it looks like to not be nagging each other all the time. What it looks like to make time for each other. What it looks like to assume and hope for the best in the other person. But for today, if you learn nothing else, if you hear nothing else, here's what I want you to hear. How do you stay in love for a lifetime? You make love a verb. You make love a verb a lot. As we close, I want to talk about Jesus just a little bit. In the book of John chapter 3, the Bible says that God loved the world so much. He verb, he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Verb, gave his son. That whoever would believe in him would not ever taste ultimate death and separation from God, but would have eternal life. And it says, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn you. He did it to save you. He did it because there's this thing called sin that separates us from God. God. And you know it's the destructive patterns that hurt you, that hurt people closest to you, that alienate you from God. He did it to make a way back. And the Bible says that Jesus died on a cross to take the penalty for your sins so that you could be forgiven and come back into relationship. That's how God made love a verb. The question is, have you responded to that love? The Bible says that we are saved when we call on the name of Jesus— when we confess the fact that we have broken things in our life that need healing and wholeness, when we confess the fact that we're not perfect, that we do sin and that we need God, the Bible says that Jesus is quick to come and forgive us of our sins and bring us back to God. And I want to ask, have you made that decision? Because if you haven't, today's the day. I said earlier the best Mother's Day gift you could give uh, your wife is to love her. But I'll tell you the truth. The best Mother's Day gift you could give your wife, guys, is to be passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And the best Father's Day gift you can give your husbands is to be passionately in love with Jesus Christ because he's the one that can bring ultimate lasting change in your life. So I'm going to pray in just a second. Uh, And if you've never made a commitment to give your life over to God, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. If you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. And if you gave your life to the Lord maybe years ago or you grew up in the church, but you're not committed to him, maybe you've slid away from him or you've walked away from God, and today you're back because you came with a friend, you came with your mom, you came with your wife. I going to give you a chance to recommit yourself to God. So if you sense God stirring you, if you sense him tugging at your heart, you can pray this simple prayer with me. I'm going to pray for our whole church, that we would love each other, and then I'm going to pray specifically with you and for you. And if you want to make that decision today, you can do that. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, this is a, an exciting topic. It's a heavy topic. It's a topic we need to get into. It's the topic of love. Would you show us what it looks like to love one another the way that you love us? To make love a verb, to make love the engine of the train that drives our relationship forward, uh, that that action that's serving the other person. Would you help us to trust you that those feelings of romantic intimacy will come as we love and serve and care for the other person? And for the husband in here today who's ready to call it quits, or the wife in here today who's ready to call it quits, Holy Spirit, I ask for the strength for them to go first in loving their partner. Not because of what they'll get back, but out of love for you. Would you give them the strength to go first, to make love in action, and to make it a lot? Jesus, for uh, the single folks in here, would you please meet them and Uh, help them to know what it looks like to love in all of their relationships, with friends, with family? Would you get them in a habit of making love in action so that when they find that special someone and when they fall in love, they would be set up for success, to be in love for a lifetime? And as we continue to pray this morning, if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, where you've made him your Lord and the Savior of your life, or if you came into a relationship with God a long time ago, but you've walked away from him and you sense him calling you back today, You can pray this simple prayer with me. It's just a prayer of commitment to God. So right where you're sitting, you can repeat in your head, you can just repeat these words, Lord Jesus, today I want to come back to you. And I confess that I've walked away from you. I confess that my sin has separated me from you. But I trust that when Jesus died on the cross for me, He brought forgiveness for my sins. And so I ask for that forgiveness today. And I ask you to come and to guide me on this journey of life. And I pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah, I had a good time. I love having you guys in the front. You're fun to talk to. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about what God's going to do. God wants to meet you. If you take this stuff to heart over the course of the next month, I want to hear stories about what God's doing in your life. So be thinking about how God's changing your marriage, how he's changing your relationship as you make love a verb every day. We're going to continue on this morning uh, on a couple different things. And we have a lot going on right now, which I told you about earlier. But make sure you got these connect cards filled out. And I want to give you some ways to apply today's message uh, to your life. Uh, and, and, and really the keys are this. It's that you're going to rededicate yourself to Jesus if you haven't done that or make a first-time decision for Jesus. If you did any of those things today, would you mark that? And then the last thing that I want you to do, and there's not even really a space to mark it on here, but I'd like you to commit to making love a verb in your marriage or in your relationship for the rest of this month and see what God does because I know he's going to do some incredible stuff. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.